0: Today, we have two very special guests, Jeej Wiles and Captain Ahab. They travel the world together, building special memories and building a family of adventurers. I'm glad I got my snapshot with them.
2: Let's dive in.
0: Ah, there's Mr. Captain Ahab.
2: (laughs) Yep. I think I can adjust him a little bit.
0: Wow, wow, wow. He's a big guy. Yep. How much does he weigh?
2: Forty-three pounds. My partner, Jenna, she's always saying that I exaggerated a lot, but I'm pretty sure I've said 43 pounds the entire time.
0: Oh my goodness. Oh my gosh. So I want to hear about how the TED talk came about.
2: It was in Akron, Ohio. And we'd spoken there before. Like I don't have you heard of Pekka Kucha Talks. They're like six minute, 40-second talks. So it's it's for people that are long-winded, like myself, but mostly for artists and so you get 20 seconds per slide and you get 20 images so it makes you just like sum up your point right away so when we were sort of practicing our story and trying to get it out there as much as possible we found these talks and we just said whoever will accept us will go and we went all over new england and the farthest we went was akron ohio and then when a bunch of people were like, you got to do a, a Ted talk type of thing. So we started applying all over the place and we saw the Akron had one and the whole city loved us the first time. So when we applied for that, there was a bunch of people I think that said like, Hey, you got to look into this application. And it just, but we always have a good time when we go out there. I don't know what it is about that city, but it just keeps getting Ahab back.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. What is the application process like?
2: It depends on the place. Like some places are looking for certain, you know, themes to follow, others are just looking for, you know, stories worth spreading, ideas worth spreading, like the TED motto is there. But it, it's different for all of them, but most of the time you just, you, you summarize what you want to talk about and, you know, it, it hopefully proves on paper that your you know, your idea's worth, worth spreading. And then everywhere's different. Some people have, or some groups are, you know, Committees of a dozen. Other ones are just run by two people. and all—it's different everywhere. I know. I think the hardest part nowadays is that so many people apply, and not there's that there's a bunch of people that carry around a three foot tall forty pound gnome. But it's just there's always you're always in competition with other people for a very small amount of spots, and there's always somebody that's talking about something in your sort of niche.
0: I felt like you were in a league of your own with a gnome.
2: Yeah. I, i don't know why they picked me at first type of thing but all the reactions later were amazing one of my my best testimonials is from the founders of that tedx akron
0: what did they say
2: it was just afterwards like we went there's an after party and things and we went in and we didn't step through the threshold of the front door we didn't get past the first five feet for 90 minutes because i encouraged everybody at the end to like find us take a picture share something and literally it was just like they just mobbed the door and we just sat there the whole time having conversations and it was it was awesome
0: that's amazing i know in your ted talk you said you had like 7000 pictures with the gnome
2: yeah now it's 9000 i'm pretty sure i haven't counted it in a while but yep over 200 adventures and yeah close to 9000 if not i'm pretty sure we crossed 9000 before covid
0: so when I told my son that I was going to interview someone who has jumped out of planes and gone on vivacious rafting trips, the first question he asked me about you, he said, are you afraid of anything?
2: <laughs> I used to be afraid that somebody would commandeer Ahab, just like, you know, it's it's karma coming, right? Somebody is going to get us back in a way in term, terms of my family type of thing. But for me, it's not even... Like he, his bucket list is just comprised of everybody else's bucket list. Somebody tells me like, oh, I've always wanted to do that. We just add it. So for me, like there's some stuff I'm I'm sure I'll hit my limit at some point, but it it gets me out of my comfort zone too. I'm not even sure where it is anymore because I've always been outgoing, like the the rafting and stuff was something I grew up with. So I was very comfortable with it. But, but yeah, we've, you know, we trekked for four months in in Chile and things like that. And, you know, I have elementary spanish level speaking so it like but that wasn't even that bad you know there's just things that just i don't know once you sort of lean into it and just go with it it's i don't know it's more exciting than i get more excited than nervous or it blends itself really well maybe i'm really nervous but i'm so excited that it it evens out
0: what makes you nervous
2: i think honestly i i didn't grow up in front of big crowds or public speaking and that kind of stuff but since I'm so passionate about sharing the story, I think, you know, if it was on another subject and I had to get in front of people, I think I would do horrible. But since, you know, when you're talking about something you're passionate about, your nerves go away.
0: Let's tell the story.
2: <laughs> sure. July 18th, 1943, my grandfather and his soon to be Naval War comrades, actually I have to put the picture up behind me for anybody looking at the little video. Uh, they were all in a pub in a port town waiting for the next day where they were all going to get on a ship and go to the south pacific in the navy there's i mean i think in all branches of the military at this point there there used to be this prank and i think there still is I, i haven't asked anybody recently but it was to commandeer something from that port town make it a stowaway on the ship and you know sort of write a scrapbook or a journal for it and when you got back to port hopefully everybody got back safely they would return like for instance, the gnome in the scrapbook to the lawn you found it on, knock on the door, hide in the bushes. And the one's very sad parents would be very happy when they saw the book and said, you know, first page would be like, Hey mom and dad, you never take me anywhere. I'm dry rotting on this lawn. I wanted to, you know, explore the world, see what was out there type of thing. And then you have this coffee table scrapbook. That's a conversational piece because everybody has lawn ornaments or things that just sort of sit there and do nothing. But it was one to give a second life to things. And two, all those, all those guys that were in the Navy at the time, you know, they're, they're so nervous. It's the night before they leave. They might not come back, all this stuff. So it, it sort of distracted them, got rid of their nerves about sort of leaving the next day and distracted them with this prank they got to play. But as you can see, I have Captain Ahab here. So the prank failed miserably because they got so excited that night, we'll call it, that when they got back to port a year and a half later, they couldn't find the house. Nobody could remember the address because they celebrated a little too hard. But instead of letting that deter them, they all ended up buying a house in the Catskills of New York and they got back together every year during July. And that get together got bigger and bigger as they got married, had kids, those kids had kids, et cetera. So fast forward until I was 10 years old and I stumbled upon a high stakes card game that they played every year. And that was how they picked the next adventure for Ahab. They'd all throw in about $1,000 and have suitcases packed by the door and whoever won the game got to pick the destination. So, like I said, I found out at 10 years old and I was sort of like the, the drink jockey, but I got to listen to the, the war stories and the adventure stories and everything about these, from these old men, you know, him and his, my grandfather's naval comrades who were my uncles at that point. It was just a big family of strangers. And when I got turned 19, I had keys to the barn which, where this game was played. And I used to go out the day after, clean up after them. But the day after my 19th birthday, I went out, they were all still there. And before I could figure out what was going on, they handed me the winnings from the card game, told me to wake up my friends and put Ahab in the car and start driving. And myself and my friends became the new caretakers of Ahab. And that was 18 years ago now. So we're, we're on a run so far. But yeah, so Ahab's been in my family for 70, a good seven decades plus now
0: has anything else been in your family like do you have any other family heirlooms
2: (laughs) um i have my grandmother's dresser and things like from when they were married that kind of stuff but those things aren't i you know ahab's hard enough to carry i can't imagine starting this over with a dresser or anything like that but everybody usually has something you know like an heirloom and things like that but usually just like put it behind glass or it sits on a shelf right? But this is something that just keeps me active. It keeps my friends, you know, coming back and staying in touch and things like that. Because as you know, like we all thought we'd be best friends with everyone forever, but people slowly trail off, new chapters open up and people come and go out of your life story. But what they have, it gives everybody excuse to sort of have a reunion or every year go on a trip or follow him somewhere.
0: I've also never heard of people getting together annually like that.
2: They did it for 59 years. Every year, Didn't I think one of my uncles missed a year or something, but I don't even know if that's accurate. I can't remember anymore because they always used to give him a hard time, but he was the one they always sort of picked on the whole time. He got the brunt of the jokes.
0: I love how you called yourself the drink jockey. <laughs>
2: well you know at 10 years old I was I thought it was the coolest thing that they let me sit around you know like I got into this man cave they never let any of the the kids or grandkids in you know they told us there was bear traps and pitfalls all around this barn and we believe it right but after I got in it was just like kid in the candy store and I just sat there in amazement and there was like a knickknack wall that had something that they commandeered from every adventure they took Ahab on there was a you know, they had a bar gun cabinet, like all this old paraphernalia from the war, things like that. It was just, it was like the man caves before it became this thing that, you know, everybody sort of had or constructs in their house. It was just this rundown barn.
0: Do you feel like you've one upped their adventures?
2: (laughs) I think so. I think most of the time they got together and they just went like on a hunting trip, like went even farther in upstate New York and just, you know, went hunting or like I was saying, they always picked on one of the uncles and he always wanted to go to the world's largest ball of twine. And I'm pretty sure they all cheated, whoever you know, they just all got together and they were just like, look, no matter what, he does not win. We're not driving to that thing. You know, and they and they never ended up going. But it was one of the first cross country trips. It's one of the first places we stopped. And I can see why they had no interest in going there after being there. It was it's cool for five seconds, I would say. Worth worth seeing, but I can see why they didn't want to travel you know the 27 hours to get there and turn around
0: i love that he went to mount rushmore i've always wanted to go there
2: yeah it's one of those things i never looked into it beforehand and you don't realize how like it's humongous but the viewing platform is so far away that you know it's just the top of the mountain it's not the entire mountain you know all the pictures make it look like it's you know 200 feet tall faces but they're really only I think they're seventy feet. I don't know, on top of like a four hundred foot mountain. So
0: And I love that he's flown first class. Have you now done that?
2: So yeah, I've checked it off recently. I think it was it three years ago, but he, he beat me by a good five years. And that wasn't planned or anything. They we always ask this little uh his abrasions on his nose are from being baggage and they put him on that conveyor belt and at one point or another he just rolls back and forth. So we just skip the baggage claim when we go to the airport and we go right to the the desk the kiosk right before you board the plane and then we say hey is there a seat available this is what we do and if not we check him there and he's much safer but every once in a while you get you know some hosts that are very uh very into the the whole idea of this and they're like oh yeah we'll we'll find a seat for him or things like that or we'll stow him somewhere and they He ends up in like the captain's chair or he ends up in a first class seat and i'm back in coach and i have no idea and then they send me pictures later and yeah it's always always entertaining and keeps me on my toes i have no clue what's going to happen most of the time we just sort of go with it
0: so you gave him that nose job
2: (laughs) yeah basically
0: he didn't used to look like that
2: no he we've both aged quite a bit but his beard was a lot whiter his his nose was a lot bigger type of thing he's aged nicely I don't think I've done as well
0: is there any way to repair it
2: so we'll we'll paint like the coat and like do so a little bit of restorations but it's you know it's like if you shaved your head type of thing I I don't know if painting the face or would make him look so different like it's too much of an extreme so and it sort of shows like how adventurous he's been or you know how weathered he is by all the travels I think but if he loses much more character in the face, we're going to have to uh, update him one way or another.
0: Well, you said you all have matching tattoos, right?
2: Yeah. So I have one on my wrist and every year we add a dash to like the pirate uh, treasure map on my arm. So I have 18 dashes on my arm right now. Every year we get back together with the same tattoo artists and talk a few more stories and things. And Ahab's got one. It's, it's been painted over, but it's on his side of his arm too. Yeah, there was a phase where he got a lot of a lot of decals and stickers put on him, and we just kept rolling. Or people would sign him, things like that, and we just roll it under his coat, basically with a paint job. And so he's absorbed a lot of a lot of souvenirs.
0: What have been some of your favorite adventures with him?
2: I think skydiving is one of my favorites because now we started bringing groups, and the place that we go, Jumptown in Orange, Massachusetts. They just love them and they make like a better video every time we go. We've been a few times with them with a few different groups. Chile was that four-month trek. Like I said, we went through Patagonia just sort of hitchhiking and seeing it as as natural as we could, basically. There was a place called Lagoon of the there's a place, Lagoon of the Gnomes down there. So it was the site that we went to and it was a hike. You had to go through a river and up this this gorge, basically. And it was it was beautiful. But yeah, there's I mean, there's so many adventures at this point it's like I I don't know if there's a favorite but we've seen like the badlands going cross country at sunset which is beautiful the whitewater rafting something like I said I grew up with so that was just something I get to take them on and and it's just a lot of fun who we get to bring a lot of the adventures you know some are planned some aren't and it's just there's amazing experiences in each one of them I don't think I could even narrow it down those are just the first couple that come to mind
0: have you been worried about injuring him?
2: So he's he's fallen when posing for a few pictures. You know, I try to balance him on something I should and things like that. But he's a solid block of wood, so it, like he usually damages more things than he gets damaged. So I I don't really worry about it anymore at this point.
0: And tell me more about like what's on your bucket list. Where would you still like to take him?
2: scotland is one of the next ones or someplace with like iceland or northern sweden where like northern lights is on there but yeah there's a we have seven more states to go in the u.s really everywhere is on the list i don't think there's places that aren't and we we used to try to put them in order or, or plan them out like oh well we do it year by year but really it's just what other people are interested in like if a friend of ours calls and says hey you know i'm gonna Take two weeks off of work next fall. I want to go do this type of thing. We usually try to cross bucket list items off other people's lists, and then it ends up being on ours, type of thing. We don't focus the trips around Ahab. We focus it on other people being motivated by him to complete their bucket list.
0: What have other people's motivations been? I know he was a part of a wedding.
2: Yeah, he's been in, I think, five weddings now. Our roommate from college. Who really started this with me? He was there day one on our our first trip. He just got married, and Ahab was all dressed up and really a part of it. He got married at the Siemens Bethel, which is in Moby Dick and everything. So, and it wasn't because of Ahab, but they have the bride's family has ties to it. But it just happened to be sort of Ahab themed, not even on purpose. So, that's definitely the best wedding. The trip that's come about because of other people or other people hearing our story and doing things because of it is this coming May, we're going to hike to or trek to Everest Base Camp. One of the schools we spoke at in 2016, one of the students, I have everybody that listens to our story and or, where we present make bucket lists. And then I sort of hold them to it. I always send them to them at some point. If it's at a school, it'll be, you know, when they're graduating, if it's a group, it'll be X amount of years later. But he wrote a bunch of stuff on there, and then he got a hold of us. Because I always say, if you need any help, our network is pretty fast at this point. So instead of asking for our network, he asked if we would accompany him to Everest Base Camp.
0: What all does Space Camp entail?
2: So it's just hiking at high altitude, really. Everest Base Camp is just you fly into Kathmandu, take a plane to Luka, and then it's a 16-day round trip trick at least the way we're doing it but yeah so i constructed a backpack to put ahab in in a month or so we'll start training for the next six months seven months
0: has he ever met a shaman
2: he has not no
0: has he ever been a wingman
2: wingman i think that was probably the first four five six seven years or so he was a definitely a easy way to meet people that's for sure He's always an icebreaker. People are always coming up to us and asking what it's about. We never have to pitch.
0: How do you travel with him?
2: No, most of the time I carry him like an 80s boombox on my shoulder. But for Everest, we're definitely putting him in a backpack and all that stuff.
0: And what's that map behind you?
2: So our office is under construction. We just We just bought a house and we're renovating it. But the map of the U.S., that's everywhere that Ahab's been since we started. There's Ireland behind me. Sweden's behind him. Chili's behind him things. So we try to like print out maps and just have all the the thumbtacks of wherever, wherever we have been, things like that. After so many adventures, we have to remind ourselves sometime when people ask us.
0: I love in your talk when you mentioned how important icebreakers are. Can you talk about that?
2: Yeah. So, you know, Aab's a great icebreaker because he's just humongous and bright yellow with this fisherman coat on. You know, he wants to be a pirate captain, but he's you know, sort of I see him as a pirate, everybody else sees it. some people see it right away, other people see him as a fisherman type of thing. But you know, it's like a lot of people can relate to like walking your dog and people stop and say, Oh, it's so cute, what what breed is it, etc. Cetera, et cetera. It starts a conversation, right? Or you you wear a funny or bright hat or a you know, a shirt that you know, like a Pearl Jam shirt or an old, you know, rock shirt or something like that. And it just it gives somebody a chance to connect with you. And that's basically Ahab does a lot of those things because people are curious, but they don't have an idea what's coming, but they want to find out.
0: I feel like he would have been fun in college.
2: Yeah. Luke and myself, my roommate from college, we, you know, hosted a lot of get togethers and things, but I don't think half of it would have happened if Ahab wasn't around. Like he was the unofficial mascot of the University of New England for sure. He was at every sporting event. He was at every, every event the college had.
0: Has he gotten endorsement opportunities?
2: So we've done little projects with people. Like I was saying with with Jumptown, he always goes for, for nothing essentially. And we bring groups and, and they give the groups deals and benefits and things. We actually just signed a speaking agent. So when COVID's all over, we'll be doing all of this full time, believe it or not. We try to work with groups or or companies and things, but I don't think it'll ever be one of those things where... I don't know if it'll ever be endorsed in the in the sense of teaming up with somebody or like wearing a certain brand or things like that. I think Ahab sort of his own own thing is like a lone wolf in that sense.
0: What was your childhood like?
2: Growing up, my grandfather always acted like a pirate. Like when he was drafted, he joined the Navy because he's like, you know, I miss piracy by 300 years, but I can, you know, act like a pirate, right? So I grew up thinking piracy was a real thing. You know, they brainwashed me into thinking that. So I ended up going to school for marine biology because I thought, you know, I'll be out in a boat nine, ten months a year type of thing. And that's why I'm into whitewater rafting, because, you know, I get to dress up like a pirate and sit in the back of a boat. My grandfather always sort of taught me without really teaching me with words, but it was just to play to your passions. Like, yes, piracy is not around anymore, but you can you can make your own fun in that sense, which was funny because. My father, who was my stepfather, he came around and he's been in my life since I was four, but he was always just telling me not to get caught he's like two rules don't get caught and don't get caught because he knew my grandfather was a troublemaker, and so he was just trying to i think counter it and then my mother, as I grew more passionate about doing this Ahab stuff and started meeting more strangers and bringing them around and sort of creating a a family from strangers like my grandfather did, I think she got hurt by that really because you know she she couldn't look past the blood relatives i think so every time i grew our family in terms of having closer friends and these people i connected with and talked about she started to get more and more distant until she just sort of disappeared from the picture altogether we'll say so it's crazy that something that was in our family and obviously a big part of it i think she was just always jealous of ahab in that sense with her father my grandfather I got the best family heirloom out of it. They passed them on to me when I was 19. Then within the next year, I was was super excited. I'm like, I'm going to have stories to share around that card table instead of just listening for once type of thing, right? I'm going to come back and actually have something to say. But every one of those guys passed away before that next card game. Two of them in a car accident. One had a heart issue. Other had other internal issues. But it was almost like as soon as they passed them on, that was like the lifeblood of the group. But when that happened, the 300-acre property in the Catskills, every piece of it, you know, they all owned a, a piece of it, and they all left it to me. And in a very quick amount of time, everybody realized that I owned the whole thing. So they it just turned into a family feud over money, and we should sell this place. And they didn't realize that this is like why they did it and why they kept coming back and everything. And being 20 at the time, I just said, you know what, take it. If you guys are all about money and I just took Ahab and a, and a few other of the possessions that aren't really valuable monetarily and never looked back.
0: You gave them the property?
2: Yeah. In hindsight, I definitely should have kept it and just never talked to them again. But it was just more the point of it. You know, it's just, you know, every time a generation passes, everybody just finally shows their true colors type of thing. This isn't a, I feel like it's not the most unique situation in the world but it was just too bad because they because all the families were fighting over this and it's just like you guys are you're not even blood related right this was a family built out of camaraderie with these guys and as soon as they were gone it just it disappeared like it never happened 60 years worth of friendships
0: and they all gave it to you yeah wow that's really even just beautiful knowing that though right
2: yeah and so now like you know i look back and even if we had the property it wouldn't have been the same and i don't know like it wasn't the best location or anything and but it's it's just one of those things now i'm just slowly building that back up everybody that hears the stories has a you know chance to become part of ahab's crew and anybody can join us they can ask to come along on anything on our calendar it's just more of a bigger family even though it's not as close like i don't have any kids or anything like that but a bunch of my friends and everybody else does and they're all nieces and nephews to me and they all have been taking a picture with ahab every year on their birthday since they were born so this is just they're not quite the oldest one's 10 right now but they're all not quite old enough to realize what i'm actually doing but ahab is commonplace to them and piracy is commonplace to them
0: have you sought out any other pirates
2: (laughs) so i've met a few different people on the road some pirates some vikings some other you know everybody everybody's got their own thing but like we don't talk like pirates are the stereotype with all the, you know, the, the classic things that everybody believes pirates talk like and they don't. But one of my favorite things sort of related to that is people are always saying, you're going to think this is super weird, but my family does this or I do this or that. And they always think I'm going to judge them on, you know, what they're telling me as a story, as they're telling me when I'm holding a 40 pound block of wood over my shoulder, right? And I'm like, how am I not the weirdo in this situation? But everybody thinks it's commonplace because it's how you act.
0: You're like, how can I judge you right now? I'm carrying a 43 pound gnome. Hey,
2: I say it all the time and nobody, but they don't see it like that. Like they see the pirate.
0: That's awesome. I love mm-hmm. that. So one thing about my show is that I interview people of interest and then I share the story with my dad and then my mm-hmm. dad weighs in. Is there anything yeah. that you would like to ask my dad?
2: <laughs> I have listened to a couple of your podcasts and he's always, I'm excited to see what he says because I'm sure he he looks into people and he does things. Like I, I heard his comments about Craig and all, all his story and things like that. And yeah, that's one of the things, I wasn't gonna say anything, but I'm like, I can't wait to see what her dad says about, about Ahab and everything like that.
0: Well, I will tell you that your story about the plot of land, he can definitely relate to because he is having a similar situation in his family with mm-hmm. what my grandfather wanted with his legacy. So I'm sure yeah. that he's gonna comment
2: on that if we were stuck in the tunnel vision of always going there and like repeating there, it wouldn't have been the same. Like to them, like they, they built that place 300 acres, they changed and evolved it. And they had stories with it. And I'm sure we would have had our own things, but I don't think the story would have evolved. We would have just went back there and only taken them on one more trip every year. But since we didn't have that place to go back to, it was always finding different places to go or places to visit. And we all, it changed It evolved the story into not just going on that one trip, but it's like, we don't have to do it in the summer. We can do it anytime and anywhere.
0: That's awesome. We'll keep that up. It all begins with Ahab. It's kind of like when you have a child and you're like, I do not remember my life before this child. I love it. Thanks for bringing Ahab along. This is amazing. Oh, no problem. Thank you so much for being on the Better Call Daddy show. I'm excited to share the story with my dad.
2: I'm excited to hear what he says and thanks for having us.
0: So, Daddy, what did you think?
1: The geek story is a very good story and a lot of lessons in this story also. To start with this story, isn't it also a continuation of his grandfather that he really looked up to and was really his main role model? And yet, going to war, World War II in the Navy, Morgan experienced the same type of camaraderie ship and loyalty and people are dying on a a ship that Marvin served on where he wanted to serve with his men. And that's when he was restationed to uh, Admiral Nimitz's ship because he was the communications officer that was in on the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, Japan. He was very loyal to his country, but he was also loyal to his men. He wrote to the president of the United States to want to go back to the front line and serve with his men and not to be separated from them. And the irony is that this story is a very interesting story. They would joke around, pull some practical jokes as people do when they're going to be in the service or they play on a team where they egg each other on. What it does is it takes the edge off of the situation. Or as he would also say, what it is, is a life of breaking the ice, where if you're nervous about something or you're going to go into a tough situation, it's a way to uh, calm your nerves. And when you have something that you share with people that's going through the same thing, you can get a very deep connection. And these men for over 50 years got together and uh, had taken this gnome as a practical joke. They couldn't even remember because they're drinking, uh, even where they got it from to return it. It became a symbol of their loyalty and dedication to each other and where they wanted to get together and have an adventure, and live that out continuously, and I think it's a great thing to pass on to another generation. He is the legacy of his grandparents and the relationships from the war that they served in. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. Another ironic twist, which you know I'm going to comment about, is where that land was the home of and and these men where they took an adventure and got together every year and then planned to do different trips together. All of a sudden, the next generation looks at the dollars and cents. They had no idea the value of the relationship, the love, the dedication, and that he was part of that. He actually inherited the land, not because of the value of the money, but the value of the memories and the wisdom that was passed on. And for him to keep the adventure going with his friends and and to form similar type of relationships and to do similar things with the gnome and to carry on. It wasn't about the money. And that's why he didn't hesitate that you want to fight over the property you want to fight over the land you want to fight over the money i just want the gnome and a couple of personal items from the men and you can have the damn property or the land and he was able to also have uh, an evolution that the gnome doesn't have to go to the same place it wasn't the place that made the story it's the gnome and the friendships and the love and the traveling and breaking the ice and having people live out some of their dreams or, or to be able to do certain things on a bucket list that they never would have done before or had the nerve to do. That's what this gnome represents. And it's a beautiful thing.
0: Today's episode is sponsored by Rin Ten Media. If you want to look and sound your best for a podcast of your own, you want to get in touch with Ren 10 Media. When I first contacted them, Better Call Daddy was just a twinkle in my daddy's eye. And now, only after a couple months in, we're at like 50 episodes. Reach out to info at ren10media.co.za and use the subject line Better Call Daddy. <laughs> Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and tune in. Add Better Call Daddy podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy show.